Volume the Second, Chapter Six of Helen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Helen by Maria Edgeworth. Volume the Second, Chapter Six. The first tidings of Beauclerc came in a letter from him to the general, written immediately after his arrival at Paris. But it was plain that it must have been written before Lady Cecilia's letter, forwarded by Madame de St. Simon, could have reached him. It was evident that matters were as yet unexplained, from his manner of writing about the death-blow to all his hopes and now he was setting off with Lord Beltravers for Naples to follow Monsieur de Saint-Simon and settle the business of his sister's divorce. Lady Cecilia could only hope that her letter would follow him thither, enclosed in this Madame de Saint-Simon's dispatches to her brother, and now they could know nothing more till they could hear from Naples. Meanwhile, Helen perceived that, though the general continued to be as attentive and kind to her as usual, yet that there was something more careful and reserved in his manner than formerly, less of spontaneous regard and cordial confidence. It was not that he was displeased by her having discouraged the addresses of his ward, fond as he was of Beauclerc, and well as he would have been pleased by the match. This he distinctly expressed the only time that he touched upon the subject. He said that Miss Stanley was the best and the only judge of what would make her happy, but he could not comprehend the nature of the mistake she had made. Cecilia's explanations, whatever they were, had not made the matter clear. There was either some caprice or some mystery which he determined not to inquire into, upon his own principle of leaving people to settle their love affairs in their own way. Helen's spirits were lowered. Naturally, of great sensibility, she depended more for her happiness on her inward feelings than upon any external circumstances. A great deal of gaiety was now going on constantly among the young people at Clarendon Park, and this made her want of spirits more disagreeable to herself, more obvious, and more observed by others. Lady Katrine rallied her unmercifully. Not suspecting the truth, her ladyship presumed that Miss Stanley repented of having, before she was asked, said no instead of yes to Mr. Churchill. Ever since his departure, she had evidently worn the willow. Lady Cecilia was excessively vexed by this ill-natured raillery. Conscious that she had been the cause of all this annoyance to Helen, and of much more serious evil to her, the zeal and tenderness of her affection now increased, and was shown upon every little occasion involuntarily, in a manner that continually irritated her cousin Katrine's jealousy. Helen had been used to live only with those by whom she was beloved, 
and she was not at all prepared for the sort of warfare which Lady Katrine carried on. Her perpetual sneers, innuendos, and bitter sarcasms Helen did not resent, but she felt them. The arrows, ill-aimed and weak, could not penetrate far. It was not with their point they wounded, but by their venom. Wherever that touched, it worked inward mischief. Often to escape from one false imputation, she exposed herself to another more grievous. One night, when the young people wished to dance, and the usual music was not to be had, Helen played quadrilles and waltzes for hours with indefatigable good nature, and when some of the party returned their cordial thanks, Lady Katrine whispered, Our musician has been well paid by Lord Estridge's admiration of her white hands. His lordship had not danced, and had been standing all the evening beside Helen, much to the discomfiture of Lady Katrine, who intended to have had him for her own partner. The next night, Helen did not play, but joined the dance, and with a boy partner whom nobody could envy her. The general, who saw wonderfully quickly the by-play of society, marked all this, and now his eye followed Helen through the quadrille, and he said to someone standing by that Miss Stanley danced charmingly to his taste and in such a ladylike manner. He was glad to see her in good spirits again. Her color was raised, and he observed that she looked remarkably well. Yes, Lady Katrine answered, remarkably well and black is so becoming to that sort of complexion. No doubt this is the reason Miss Stanley wears it so much longer than is customary for an uncle. Short or long mornings are, to be sure, just according to fashion or feeling, as some say. For my part, I hate long mornings, so like ostentation of sentiment. Whatever I did, at any rate, I would be consistent. I would never dance in black. Pope, you know, has such a good cut at that sort of thing. Do you recollect the lines? And bear about the mockery of woe to midnight dances and the public show. Lady Castleford took Miss Stanley aside after the dance was over to whisper to her so good-naturedly how shockingly severe Katrine had been, faithfully repeating every word that her sister had said, and so cruel to talk of your bearing about the mockery of woe. But my sweet little lamb, do not let me distress you so. Helen, withdrawing from the false caresses of Lady Castleford, assured her that she should not be hurt by anything Lady Katrine could say as she so little understood her real feelings, and at the moment her spirit rose against the injustice, and felt as much superior to such petty malice as even Lady Davenant could have desired. She had resolved to continue in mourning for the longest period in which it is worn for a parent, because, in truth, her uncle had been a parent to her. But the morning after Lady Katrine's cruel remarks, 
Cecilia begged that Helen would oblige her by laying aside black. Let it be on my birthday. Lady Cecilia's birthday was to be celebrated the ensuing week. Well, for that day certainly I will, Helen said, but only for that day. This would not satisfy Cecilia. Helen saw that Lady Katrine's observations had made a serious impression, and, dreading to become the subject of daily observation, perhaps altercation, she yielded. The morning was thrown aside. Then everything she wore must be new. Lady Cecilia and Mademoiselle Felice, her waiting-maid, insisted upon taking the matter into their own hands. Helen really intended only to let one dress for her friend's birthday be bespoken for her, but from one thing she was led on to another. Lady Cecilia's taste in dress was quite exquisite. Her first general principle was admirable. Whatever you buy, let it be the best of its kind, which is always the cheapest in the end. Her second maxim was, Never have anything but from such and such people, or from such and such places, naming those who were at the moment accredited by fashion. These, of course, make you pay high for the name of the thing, but that must be, the name is all, said Lady Cecilia. Does your hat, your bonnet, whatever it be, come from the reigning fashionable authority? Then it is right, and you are quite right. You can put down all objections and objectors with the magic of a name. You need think no more about your dress. You have no trouble. While the poor creatures who go toiling and rummaging in cheap shops, what comes of it but total exhaustion and disgrace? Yesterday now, my dear Helen, recollect, when Lady Katrine, after dinner, asked little Miss Isdell where she bought that pretty hat. The poor girl was quite out of countenance. Really, she did not know. She only knew it was very cheap. You saw that nobody could endure the hat afterwards, so that, cheap as it might be, it was money to all intents and purposes absolutely thrown away, for it did not answer its purpose. Helen, laughing, observed, that if its purpose had been to look well, and to make the wearer look well, it had fully succeeded. Sophistry, my dear Helen, the purpose was not to look well, but to have a distinguished air. Dress, and what we call fashion and taste altogether, you know, are mere matters of opinion, association of ideas, and so forth. When will you learn to reason, as Mamma says, do not make me despair of you. Thus, half in jest, half in earnest, with truth and falsehood, sense and nonsense, prettily blended together, Lady Cecilia prevailed in overpowering Helen's better judgment, and obtained a hasty submission. In economy, as in morals, false principles are far more dangerous than any one single error. One false principle as to laying out money is worse than any bad bargain that can be made, because it leads to bad bargains innumerable. It was settled that all Helen wanted should be purchased, not only from those who sold the best goods, 
but from certain very expensive houses of fashionably high name in london and the next point lady cecilia insisted upon was that helen's dress should always be the same as her own you know it used to be so my dear helen when we were children let it be so now but there is such a difference now said helen and i cannot afford difference oh don't talk of differences let there be none ever between us not afford nonsense my dear the expense will be nothing in these days you get the materials of dress absolutely for nothing the fashion the making up is all us felice and i and everybody who knows anything of the matter can tell you now all that sort of thing we can save you here is my wedding paraphernalia all at your service patterns ready cut and here is felice whose whole french soul is in the toilette and there is your own little maid who has hands and head and heart all devoted to you so leave it to us leave it to us my dear take no thought what you shall put on and you will put it on all the better felice was summoned felice remember miss stanley's dress is always to be the same as my own it must be so my dear it will be the greatest pleasure to me and with her most persuasive caressing manner she added my own dear helen if you love me let it be so this was an appeal which helen could not resist she thought that she could not refuse without vexing cecilia and from a sort of sentimental belief that she was doing cecilia a real kindness that it was what cecilia called a sisterly act she yielded to what she knew was unsuited to her circumstances to what was quite contrary to her better judgment it often so happens that our friends doubly guard one obvious point of weakness while another exists undiscovered by them and unknown to ourselves lady davenant had warned helen against the dangers of indecision and coquetry with her lovers but this danger of extravagance in dress she had not foreseen and into how much expense this one weak compliance would lead her helen could not calculate she had fancied that at least till she went to town she should not want anything expensive this was a great mistake formerly in england as still in every other country but england a marked difference was made in the style of dress in the country and in town formerly overdressing in the country was reprobated as quite vulgar but now even persons of birth and fashion are guilty of this want of taste and sense they display almost as much expensive dress in the country as in town it happened that among the succession of company at clarendon park this summer there came self-invited from the royal party in the neighborhood a certain wealthy lady by some called golconda by others the duchess of bobbleshire she was passionately fond of dress and she eclipsed all rivals in magnificence and variety of ornaments at imminent peril of being robbed she brought to the country and carried about everywhere with her an amazing number of jewels 
wearing two or three different sets at different times of the day, displaying them on the most absurdly improper occasions at a fete champêtre or at a boat race. Once, after a riding party, at a picnic under the trees, when it had been resolved unanimously that nobody should change their dress at dinner-time, Golconda appeared in a splendid necklace, displayed over her riding-dress, and when she was reproached with having broken through the general agreement not to dress, she replied that, really, she had just put the thing on in the greatest hurry, without knowing well what it was, just to oblige her little page, who had brought three sets of jewels for her choice. She had chosen the most undressed of the three, merely because she could not disappoint the poor little fellow. Everyone saw the affectation and folly, and above all, the vulgarity of this display, and those who were most envious were most eager to comfort themselves by ridicule. Never was the Golconda out of hearing, but Lady Katrine was ready with some instance of her absurd vanity. If fortune had but blessed her with such jewels, Lady Katrine said, she trusted she should have worn them with better grace. But it did not appear that the taste for baubles was diminished by the ridicule thrown upon them. Quite the contrary, it was plain that the laughters were only envious, and envious because they could not be envied. Lady Cecilia, who had no envy in her nature, who was really generous, entered not into this vain competition. On the contrary, she refrained from wearing any of her jewels because Helen had none. Besides, simplicity was really the best taste. The general said so. This was well thought and well done for some time, but there was a little lurking love of ornaments in Cecilia's mind. Nor was Helen entirely without sympathy in that taste. Her uncle had early excited it in her mind by frequent fond presence of the prettiest trinkets imaginable. The taste had been matured along with her love for one for whom she had such strong affection, and it had seemed to die with its origin. Before she left Cecilhurst, Helen had given away every ornament she possessed. She thought she could never want them again, and she left them as remembrances with those who had loved her and her uncle. Cecilia, on her birthday, brought her a set of forget-me-nots to match those which she intended to wear herself and which had been long ago given to Lady Cecilia by the dear good Dean himself. This was irresistible to Helen, and they were accepted. But this was only the prelude to presents of more value, which Helen scrupled to receive, yet, oft to refuse and never once offend, was not so easily done as said, especially with Lady Cecilia. She was so urgent, so caressing, and had so many plausible reasons, suitable to all occasions. On the general's birthday, Lady Cecilia naturally wished to wear his first gift to her, a pair of beautiful pearl bracelets, but then Helen must have the same. Helen thought that Roman pearl would do quite as well for her. 
she had seen some such excellent imitations that no eye could detect the difference. No eye, very likely, but still your own conscience, my dear, replied Lady Cecilia, and if people ask whether they are real, what could you say? You know there are everywhere impertinent people, malicious Lady Katrines, who will ask questions. Oh, positively I cannot bear to think of your being detected in passing off counterfeits. In all ornaments it should be genuine or none, none or genuine. None, then, let it be for me this time, dear Cecilia. Cecilia seemed to submit, and Helen thought she had well settled it. But on the day of the general's fate, the pearl bracelets were on her dressing-table. They were from the general, and could not be refused. Cecilia declared she had nothing to do with the matter. Oh, Cecilia! Upon my word! cried Lady Cecilia. And if you doubt me, the general shall have the honor of presenting, and you the agony of refusing or accepting them in full salon. Helen sighed, hesitated, and submitted. The general, on her appearing with the bracelets, bowed, smiled, and thanked her with his kindest look, and she was glad to see him look kindly upon her again. Having gained her point so pleasantly this time, Lady Cecilia did not stop there, and Helen found there was no resource but to bespeak beforehand for herself whatever she apprehended would be pressed upon her acceptance. Fresh occasions for display and new necessities for expense continually occurred. Reviews and races and race balls and archery meetings and archery balls had been and a regatta was to be. At some of these the ladies had appeared in certain uniforms, new, of course, for the day, and now preparations for the regatta had commenced and were going on. It was to last several days, and after the boat races in the morning there were to be balls at night. The first of these was to be at Clarendon Park, and Mademoiselle Felice considered her lady's dress upon this occasion as one of the objects of first importance in the universe. She had often sighed over the long, unopened jewel-box. Her lady might as well be nobody. Mademoiselle Felice could no ways understand a lady well-born not wearing that which distinguished her above the common. And if she was ever to wear jewels, the ballroom was surely the proper place, and the sapphire necklace would look à ravert with her lady's dress, which indeed, without it, would have no effect, would be quite mesquine and manquie. Now Lady Cecilia had a great inclination to wear that sapphire necklace, which probably Felice saw when she commenced her remonstrances, for it is part of the business of the well-trained waiting-woman to give utterance to those thoughts which her lady wishes should be divined and pressed into accomplishment. Cecilia considered whether it would not be possible to divide the double rows of her sapphires to make out a set for Helen as well as for herself. She hesitated only because they had been given to her by her mother, and she did not like to run the hazard of spoiling the set. 
but still she could manage it, and she would do it. Mademoiselle Felice protested the attempt would be something very like sacrilege, to prevent which she gave a hint to Helen of what was in contemplation. Helen knew that with Cecilia, when once she had set her heart upon a generous feat of this kind, remonstrance would be in vain. She dreaded that she would, if prevented from the meditated division of the sapphires, purchase for her a new set. She had not the least idea what the expense was, but at the moment she thought anything would be better than letting Cecilia spoil her mother's present, or put her under fresh obligations of this sort. She knew that the sapphires had been got from the jewellers with whom her uncle had dealt, and who were no strangers to her name. She wrote and bespoke a similar set to Lady Cecilia's. Charmante, the very thing, Mademoiselle Felice foresaw, a young lady so well-born would determine undoing, and if she might add a little word, it would be good at the same opportunity to order a ruby brooch, same as her lady's, as that would be the next object in question for the second day's regatta ball, when it would be indispensable for that night's appearance. Positivement, she knew her lady would do it for Miss Stanley if Miss Stanley did not do it of her own head. Helen did not think that a brooch could be very expensive, there was not time to consider about it. The post was going. She was afraid that Lady Cecilia would come in and find her writing, and prevent her sending the letter. She hastily added an order for the brooch, finished the letter, and despatched it. And when it was gone, she told Cecilia what she had done. Cecilia looked startled. She was well aware that Helen did not know the high price of what she had bespoken but determining that she would settle it her own way, she took care not to give any alarm, and shaking her head, she only reproached Helen playfully with having thus stolen a march upon her. "'You think you have outgeneraled me, but we shall see. Remember, I am the wife of a general, and not without resources.'" End of Volume the Second, Chapter Six